life is the name of the game and I want to play the game with you life can be terribly tame if you don't play the game with Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Christmas Everest, a game for two. Very clever. And I want to play the game with you. Do you mean play the game or have sex? Look, I don't know. I don't know what... It's not specified. You didn't say no. Today... <laughs> today's today's topic is the generation game, or to give it its proper title, Bruce Forsyth and the generation yep. game. A bit like Kevin Rowland... And Dexie's Midnight Runners. Never has there been a truer catchphrase than I'm in charge. (laughs) If Bruce Forsyth is hosting a TV show, then that show is about Bruce Forsyth in a way that it could never be about the contestants. Even though the way he communicates with them could give you the momentary impression that it isn't. Kind of slight a hand. This is the 1973 Christmas edition. His glamorous assistant is Anthea. Uh, They got married in this year. Generation game, standard format. Two sets of um, rounds, each featuring two sets of two related people in teams. In the first group, we had a couple of father and daughters. Yeah, I have to say that I had forgotten that. And if you'd asked me, it probably would have been lodged in my head as being husbands and wives. And I don't know, maybe they did that in other episodes, I'm not sure. But the prominence of it being fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, and of course, the generation game. Clues in the the title. You know, just goes to show how easily these things can sail over your head it's very much one of its usps isn't it yeah it's so easy to have a quiz game or a variety show where you get members of the public on and they're you know husband and wife there's more interesting dynamic there's more interesting stakes really yeah, yeah. because you know if you're a married couple and you go on the generation game and it's an abject disaster Worst case scenarios, you can get divorced, but a bit more difficult if you are father and daughter. I don't know if there's been any recorded estrangements as a result of appearing on the generation game. She never spoke to me again. Estrangements and emancipations. To keep on with the two by two by two format of the generation game, the first two sets of contestants... Compete in two rounds to see who can score the most points. Uh, the first round was Celebrity Snowmen. Yeah. Quite cheap snowmen 
costumes, singing jingle bells, and each one was a famous celebrity guest. Well, they say that. Well, I was interested to know how many you got out of the six. I'm taking it on trust to a great extent that these people were actually... I've heard of, of four I of had them, heard of and recognised uh, three Did of them. Did you recognise any of them while they were in their snowman outfits? Yes. Because I got two. Uh, I got two as well. I got um, Tony Blackburn. Yeah, that was and, easy. And Derek Nimmo. Yeah, so was that. Uh, I, I'm they're two bit, of the three that I got. I'm a bit know. disappointed that I didn't get Frank Boff. Oh, I did. I obviously wasn't paying enough attention. No, I did. I, I did. I did get Frank Boff. Uh, the other, the other person there who I'd heard of was um, Jackie Palo, but I couldn't tell you what he did. He had long hair. I didn't even catch his name, so I've just got Jackie Question Mark written down. In the second game, now this was absolute classic Generation Game Fair. Yeah. The contestants had to observe a demonstration of how to make a Christmas cracker from Christmas cracker maker extraordinaire Phyllis Holland and then make one themselves. Um, now, one, they must have a machine for this sort of shit. Two... As soon as I saw her get the paste out, I knew that this was going to be an absolute shit show. Is that what you thought? Yeah, I thought. Because oh. I thought there's no way that these contestants are going to get the hang of something that requires paste in one minute and 30 seconds. Yeah. Having watched one demonstration of it. I don't know how you felt about the, the cracker that she actually produced. I thought it was a, a slightly strange looking cracker. Well, the, t- yeah. the two ends were longer than the middle. I, I make allowances for different times, you know. Different cracker. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I find it entirely plausible that over over time, the size of gifts could have got bigger. Yeah, so it possible. might have been necessary yeah. to make the middle tube longer. That's evolution, isn't it? Yeah, so, you know, that that's changing times. But I, I'm, I'm talking about this like I'm some sort of fucking expert. I ain't got a clue. That's a guess. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that and put it down in a note. So I just made it up off the top of my head. This is the first <laughs> round in which anyone who's recently sat through the 3-2-1 Christmas special yeah. will suddenly be acutely aware of what we said then, but have now had confirmed to us which is that Bruce Forsyth is on another planet to Ted Rogers. What were you trying to do here? I couldn't get it out. You couldn't get it in and you're trying to push it it in there. (laughs) He's left the steel rabbit. about Bruce Forsyth I've got no interest in Bruce Forsyth and ultimately he's a bit of he's a bit corny isn't he he's a bit old school but mm. you when you see him in full flight doing what he does mm. he's he's so hard to deny well as I said at the top of this podcast never has there been a truer catchphrase than I'm in charge <laughs> he's in control of the audience He's in control of the guests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got his assistant. He's in control of her. Every single thing rests in the palm of his hand. And that is 
kind of necessary in yeah. a way with a program of this nature, particularly one which kind of depends on people having the ability to laugh at themselves. I mean, imagine how embarrassing it would all get if somebody started taking it seriously. Yeah. And got really angry at the fact that they couldn't make a Christmas cracker first go. You yeah, need yeah. somebody who's on top of their game to be able to rein this in and make sure that everything is running smoothly. Next set of contestants, we've got a pair of mothers and their sons. Yeah. The whole thing is it's weird and it's dated horribly. You know, people <laughs> like that just don't exist anymore. Well, I'll tell you, one of the the key aspects that really proves that was the amount of comb-overs. The kid. I say kid. I mean, Christ almighty, he he can't have been older than 25. No. And already bald and already sporting a comb-over. A proper Um, swope. Yeah, and it's... uh, And and I'm not here to laugh at it because it breaks my heart, you know? (laughs) It's no, it really don't laugh. Well, I mean, sake. I sort of what, what? No, 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 but <laughs> I don't, I don't, is... it does because the thing is that you know, <laughs> are you I... complaining about a society that has that has become hairist? No, I get, I, I'm not saying I don't get why people laugh at them, uh, <laughs> but from a personal perspective, nowadays, now the aging process has started for me too, and oh, it's really yeah, but... fucking ramped up this last three or four years. It, you don't look at it quite the same way anymore. I don't. I kind of look at it and I'm like, oh. You if, know, you, if you've ever got a comb over, I can guarantee my response would be exactly the same. Well, the I've thing heard. is that having lost a bit of hair, oh, God. I think I see the origin story for the comb over. Oh, yeah, what? Well, because yeah. you, what happens is that, for me, it feels like no matter where you start losing it, mine has been like at the front in the middle. It's not bald or anything, but it's a, it's really, really thin now. You know, I don't know if it's going to go completely bald or just stay like this. It's stabilised recently, and it and it's better the shorter it is as well. It's uh, it, it doesn't suit growing out anymore. And well. um, but but anyway, so uh, what happens is that your your parting just starts to move. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Side. But, and I, mean, I totally get how if you are just going bald on top and it's coming out in, in clumps, that parting gets wider and wider and wider. And before you know it, you've kind of stumbled into it by accident. And it's almost like, a, or, well, not by accident, but, you know, just sort of it's, it's, it's turned up there. Well, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of evidence in this episode of just that by looking at Brucey. His parting is slightly above his, uh, like an inch maybe above his left ear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all the same. And like I say, you know, mine is kind of heading in that, that direction, but it seems to have stopped. So I don't know quite what the fuck's going on there. But this, but, is, pre, this is pre-syrup for Brucey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Which returned... is it's nice because, you know, all his head and his hair move at the same time now, and it's, yeah. it's quite nice to see. 
Yeah. But no moustache. And I think Bruce looks better with a moustache, personally. Um, I think so, yeah. But I don't know what a moustache with that hairdo would have looked like. Well, it probably would have looked like most other men in 1973, I would have thought. I don't know. The two rounds for the mothers and sons. The first one, making a big old mince pie with the nation's favourite rat bag, Fanny Craddock and Johnny Craddock. Always a pleasure to see Johnny. Always, always a pleasure to see Johnny. Always a pain to see Fanny because oh, she was a no. no. She was a fucking awful woman. She was. Oh, absolutely. She absolutely was. Uh, I tell you what, though. Yeah. Old Johnny Craddock, there. Good old Johnny. Old Johnny Craddock. Good old Johnny. Yeah. He is wearing the best jacket I've ever seen. And a monocle. And a monocle. I don't really care about the monocle, but the, 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 he's wearing this kind of green velvet, dark green velvet jacket. Did it have any crest or anything? It had like this huge bouquet of the like kind of um <laughs> bouquet of flowers, like half a fucking shrubbery, uh, as a as a um you know as a what what do they call it? Nosegay. No, you know what I mean. Buttonhole, that's it. Like it was it was a an enormous buttonhole. It was like like I say, it was like half a fucking shrubbery. But but I but I enjoyed I enjoyed that as well. I wouldn't have worn I wouldn't have worn that. I but I, but I would totally have worn that jacket. It looked uh, unbelievably comfortable. Johnny at one point made a joke about being a battered husband, which yeah. I suspect Given the fact that it, I am sure that Fanny Craddock must have at some point attacked him with a rolling pin, that green jacket or not, yeah, it, it was a tale of woe that he was relating there. Yeah, and Fanny yeah. probably gave him another half dozen when they got yeah. off stage for him making the joke. <laughs> she was yeah. a bloody rat bag. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. There, yeah. It's fair to say she was a British phenomenon, and yeah. few other people can make a mince pie under that kind of pressure of time whilst dressed for dinner and the ballet. Um, Yeah, I I mean, you know, we're going to come back to uh, Fanny Craddock Hmm. at a later date. Yeah. Uh, No, 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 no plot spoilers. But I I think she's an extraordinary woman. Um, Yeah. Albeit in a a grotesque sense. Oh, yeah, I think that she's extraordinary and fascinating as well. But the thing is, because I find her so extraordinary and fascinating, I've actually gone that extra mile with Fanny Craddock to try and find out more stuff over the years. And everything I find just makes me think, God, she was awful. (laughs) Awful, awful woman. An absolute... Battleaxe. Then you take the rolling pin again. Who wants those fancy cutters and creating lumps around the edge? Run the rolling pin all the way around the edge like this, and that cuts the pastry off. Now, this fulfills two functions. It means you get your beautiful mincemeat right up to the very edge of the pastry, and you don't have any of the hard doorsteps, which are so positively dangerous for people with bald teeth. Also a celebrity in the, in the last game, although obviously not quite Fanny's level. Yeah. Robert Harbin who was a famous magician. Yeah, well, the thing is that I didn't catch the intro to that. I was uh, momentarily diverted. So I was like, so is he a magician? 
No, he's just arranging a table. And then he pulled the thing and said, oh, no, he yeah. is a magician. Right. Okay. He is Fair a magician, enough. yeah. He, he, he wrote books about mag- uh, magic and and card games and things like that. He wasn't the most charismatic of magicians. He was no Paul well, Daniel. Well, yeah, but the good thing about about that is that in this particular round, we got to find out exactly how charismatic he is. Because each of the four contestants then had to do his act, essentially. Well, yeah. Including, and I'd forgotten about this, including the patter. Mm-hmm. That's that's a difficult one. I mean, it's, it's so not British. Mm-hmm. That kind of exhibitionism. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is and that the contestants that was... do look mortified often. But... Bruce is in charge. Yeah, I do wonder sometimes how drunk they got them in the green room beforehand. Well, uh, that probably would have been quite useful. Because I would be... I mean, the BBC had its own bar, didn't it? So I wouldn't be surprised if people ended up going on there after having half a dozen gin and tonics. Speaking of people who've been drinking in the green room, Mm. the, the semi-final. Now, this was a performance of Cinderella, which, again, puts this programme in direct competition with the episode of 321 that we saw. And once again, Mm. 321 is shown up to be a bag of dicks. Yeah. They do the pantomime first run through. The uh, Cinderella herself, do you know anything about Lynn Fredericks? Nope. Lynn Fredericks was playing Cinderella. She's 19 years old and she she just won an award for like the promising newcomer. Okay. Uh, she later went on to marry Peter Sellers um, right. and then was decried as a gold digger when she got left everything in his will. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and she was essentially blacklisted as a result. She married David Frost briefly after Peter Sellers had died and she died of alcoholism oh. at 39 in 1994. Oh. So, you know... Careful what you wish for. You know, well, you think you're I... on the way up on Brucey's generation game. Yeah. But the next thing you know, you've got a nappy. Yeah. Well, I do, yeah. I mean, that is a really depressing story. So It is know, a really depressing thanks story. For, yeah. Thanks for sharing. She is joined by Frankie Howard. Well, who is, he's playing Baron Hardup, or what's it? It's Baron Stonybroke in yeah. this particular version. Yeah. And one of the ugly sisters. Yeah. Uh, we've spoken about Frankie Howard before in the advent calendar itself. Yeah. But, I mean, it would be a shame to miss another opportunity to just say how wonderful Frankie Howard is. I love Frankie Howard. <laughs> he is so funny. Um, and actually, you know, when you watch a lot of this shit, you really come to see how unnatural so oh, many yeah, of them yeah. were in this sort of position. They twinkle like a diamond in a pile of poo. They yeah, really do. Really, but, really do. Yeah, but Frankie Howard, again, is just funny. You can yeah. give him anything. Literally, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't even need a script. I noted down about Frankie Howard that he neither knows or cares what he's meant to do or say, nor does he know or care about how to go about finding out what he's meant to do or say. Yeah. Because it's of supreme disinterest to him. All he needs to do is walk out on the stage and be Frankie Howard until someone tells him to stop. He's looking old these days. We notice. 
No wonder they call him Snow White. Anyway, never mind. Let's get on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, make myself comfy. Let's accept. Now, listen. Aha! I am Stony Brooke. I am such your government. Ha ha ha! It's putting me off. I am Stony Brooke, the penniless. What am I? The penniless. Uh, what is it? What's the words? Like the Baron. Baron. Yes. As a matter of fact, I haven't got two baubles to rub together. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that I don't know how much of it was meticulous preparation. I I think probably more than it looks. Yeah, and if it was, then that really makes him a great comedy actor. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. Because the end result is the same either way around. It's funny. It's it just is, and he is a cut above, not far off anything we've seen since we started doing this, actually. And I don't just mean the Christmas ones. However, what I will also say is we've been, our fulsome praise of Frank Howard, I must also be fulsome in my praise of Bruce Forsyth here. He Mm. has to do that pantomime three times with the uh, proper actors and mm-hmm. with the contestants playing the proper actors roles which yeah. when you consider that one of the proper actors is Frankie Howard made for some very interesting <laughs> television yeah i'm stony broke the penniless baron yes ah no uh, uh, anyway tonight i'm taking my two tiny daughters to the royal ball oh yes um, no ooh ah yes <laughs> But Bruce goes into it with the same energy every time. Yeah. He reacts off of the situation as the situation demands. Mm-hmm. He's unbelievable. Well, he is a he is a solid pro. He is every bit as good at what he does as Frankie Howard is at what he does. Yeah, no, but, but the, and the thing is that he's kind of multifaceted. Oh, definitely. Um, he is not a very good singer. But, no. you know, he still sings, and nobody really cares. He's not a particularly great dancer, but he can dance a bit, and that's all he needs to do. He's not a great joke teller, but, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter, because they're just essentially linking devices. Yeah. And so, but what he does is he brings all of that in with an absolute lack of ashamedness. And he draws the audience in because he knows exactly how to play the audience. So they will do exactly what he says. Yeah. And then you get these people coming out who need to be made to feel completely at ease because even if they have had six gin and tonics, they're still on stage in front of a live studio audience knowing fully well that 20 million people are going to be watching this. Yeah. And he's the one who's got to keep their shit together. And I, you know, I don't see many cuts. No. No, he's... He is an absolute powerhouse. He's a, and and and, the, and it is a very very singular ability. And I get entirely why he rubs people up the wrong way. Oh, I yeah, do yeah, understand yeah. that. He rubs but, me up um, the wrong way, but yeah. at the same time, 
this was absolutely fantastic. Solid, solid pro. The only time he showed any sign of losing control whatsoever, and I was pleased to note this personally, uh, when Malcolm Allison appeared in the, the, the third pantomime, because he was the coach. You see what they've done there. It's pretty, yeah. pretty clever. Yeah, very interesting choice, Malcolm Allison, because by the end of 1973, Malcolm Allison was past his best. He, of course, famously was the manager of Manchester City in 1972. It was the signing of... Rodney Marsh. Rodney Marsh destabilised the team and allowed Derby County and on the blind side to win the league title. Uh, He was sacked um, during the following season uh, and ended up at Crystal Palace where he was unable to stop them getting a second successive relegation down to the third division. In the middle of a fucking panic at Crystal Palace because they're going down at the at the time, yeah. and there he is, guesting on the generation game. Yeah, <laughs> it's that sort of behaviour that used to lose him his jobs. You know, you remember when he took a he, he did a photo of a bunch of naked women, didn't he? He certainly did in a team bath or something. <laughs> and, and it's like, all right, Mel, I know you're living your best life, but. Yeah, but I mean, come on, if you're going to get sacked, go go all in. In the middle of his fall from grace, and it's difficult to see his cameo appearance as being anything other than the, exactly the sort of thing that causes that sort of fall from grace. This is, this is true. But Malcolm Allison's appearance allowed um, the contestant Bob to say bloody Crystal Palace instead of just Crystal Palace. Yeah. Which, that's that's like, that's some pretty A-grade swears in 1973. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Props to Bob. And Bruce was at great pains to, to point out that it wasn't on the uh, wasn't on the card. Yeah. Yeah, he had to do that. Only time that Bruce lost control of any of the situations. In fact... Bob and Marjorie got through to the final and did the conveyor belt and won a load of prizes. Yeah, I mean, that was an impressive haul of swag. He, um, he, he got away with by the end of that. Well, yeah, there were, seven, there were seven cuddly toys. Yeah. And because he correctly identified that there were seven cuddly toys, the toys themselves were donated to a children's charity and they won a Trinitron colour TV. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't tell you how much a colour TV cost in 1973. Um, I can tell you it cost roughly a month's salary, average kind of sort of salary, in 1982. So nine years on. So they were still hella expensive, and most people rented them. What was your festive highlight? I did make an exclamation uh, when I saw Big Mal. (laughs) <laughs> and I did enjoy the possibility that this had been recorded just like, you know, a couple of days after and yet another home defeat for the Palace. Yeah. In front of a severely depleted pre-Christmas On crowd. absolutely churned field. Yeah, churned field, yeah. On an abject night in the middle of December. <laughs> 
and mm. uh, all Mal's doing is checking his watch because he's due at television centre <laughs> yeah. at six There's o'clock. There's a cab out the back so he yeah. can be in the generation game. And so, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the idea of, like, Palace being in serious relegation difficulty uh, <laughs> at um, the bottom. Not even at the bottom of the first division, bottom of no. the second division for a second successive relegation. Yeah. So, you know... Tragic scenes. Yeah, yeah, not not at all funny. Um, <laughs> can you tell they scored a late equaliser against Spurs at the weekend? Oh, there's no bitterness there. None, none at all. One of the festive highlights, and I think this this is you know, goes without saying, is just thinking about what Frankie Howard must have been like in pantomime. It's, yeah, it's a, what, there's probably a pantomime somewhere still sitting in, waiting for Frankie Howard to come back out again. So long had he kept him there anyway. That's true. It must have been an unbelievable sight. I, they they probably would have had to shepherds crook him off for everybody else's benefit, I think. Quite plausible. My festive highlight is far more ethereal than that. Uh, and it is the sort of Proustian rush that this programme gave me. Thinking back to this sort of show, watching it at Christmas... With the whole family, you know, the whole extended family. And everyone got something out of it because there was something in there for everybody. Yeah. And that is so hard to do. That is so hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I don't hardly remember ever watching anything with the rest of my family on the TV. It's not something that we used to sit down and do together. We all had our own things that we liked. And uh, everybody else just made way for those, you know. Yeah. If my dad wanted the snooker on, the snooker went on. If uh, my mum wanted, I don't know, Corrie or EastEnders or whatever. <laughs> I then... can't imagine your mum watching Corrie. Oh or yeah, East yeah, Ends. yeah. She was, she was, she was interesting. Know, quite into it for quite a long time. Um, and uh, so you just made the space for that. It was, seemed like the polite and fair thing to do. That if everybody, you know, just uh, yeah, let everybody else have what they wanted on the yeah. TV when they wanted it, then no problem. And in any case, I mean, I had a TV in my bedroom from the age of 10. A little black and white one, portable. Well... Had you watched the Generation game altogether, I'm sure there would have been something for everybody. Yeah, I don't think I was ever a regular watcher of it. Because again, I mean, it's, you know, when I was in my 20s, well, Saturday night. What the hell do you think I am on Saturday night? Well, obviously. I mean, I'm either in the clubhouse or the football club, or I'm in the boozer. For a couple of years, I was probably at work. You know, yeah. and and, um, and so the generation game is not going to be top of my list of programs that I want to set the fucking video recorder for. Um, <laughs> and by the time I'm in my thirties, I can I've stopped watching broadcast TV. <laughs> yeah, I would put on something because it was you know I would put on something that was on BBC One, but I'm not going to put BBC One on. Why would I? Why the hell would I do that? That shit's not aimed at me it clearly isn't because i don't like any of it <laughs> you know there's a, a big vote of confidence there for bbc one well you know i mean the only channel i would probably consider and I, you know and people will obviously scoff at this and they're right to 
the only channel I would put on for an entire evening would probably be BBC Four. Nice. Because, you know, at least you've got a reasonable chance that something that you're really interested in will come up. And if you just sit there and watch it, I don't know what it'll be. It could be fucking anything, couldn't it? It could be somebody going down the fucking Grand Union Canal on a canal boat in real time. Yeah, BBC Four is very much Ian TV. Of course it is. They have fucking repeats of Top of the Pops on there every Friday night. And <laughs> Top of the Pops is one of my favourite, favourite ever programmes. Hmm. So, you know. Hmm. Okay. Obviously. Yes. Well, we thrashed the generation game so hard that you're talking about Top of the Pops, so I think that's probably yep. a, a good sign to um, to move on. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. This was a piece of idiocy on your part. <laughs> Tomorrow, the Lawrence... <laughs> oh, dear. The Lawrence Welk Show. Yes. Oh, dearie me. Uh, 1972. Yeah. So back to yeah, Ian's first Christmas. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, for those of you who are watching um, or listening rather um, to the uh, episode about a Christmas night with the stars, uh, this is what Americans would have been watching at the same time, give or take. So God uh, almighty, you know, it would have made me sign up to fight in Vietnam if that had been what's on telly. <laughs> Emotional is definitely the right word for it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That'll do us for now. We'll be back again same time tomorrow. Thanks very much for listening, and goodbye.